0: You're listening to Money Talks from Economist Radio, our weekly podcast on economics, finance, and the world of business. I'm Samir Keynes, Trade and Globalisation Editor at The Economist. And coming up today, a forgotten heroine of economics.
1: Now, in June of 1921, I received the degree of Doctor of Philosophy in Economics. It was a great occasion because I was the first black woman in the United States to qualify and to receive the degree.
0: So said Sadie Tanner Marcel Alexander, the first African American to get a PhD in economics. A hundred years ago, on the day that she got it from the University of Pennsylvania, there was quite a celebration.
1: And I can well remember marching down Broad Street from Mercantile Hall to the Academy of Music when there were photographers from all over the world taking my picture.
0: Today, most economists don't know much about Alexander, which is partly because of what happened next.
1: All of the glory of that occasion faded, however quickly, when I tried to get a position.
0: Sadie Alexander couldn't get a job in academic economics. In fact, it would be years until black women got their first teaching positions in American universities. Her daughter described there being no way for her to make a living in the profession. Alexander eventually got a job at a life insurance company, but ultimately decided to retrain. And she went on to have a pretty stunning career as a lawyer. She fought for civil rights. She pushed for the desegregation of Philadelphia's hotels, theaters, and cinemas.
2: Our immediate task is to remove the last remnants of the barriers which stand between millions of our citizens and their birthright. In
0: 1947, she was appointed to President Harry Truman's Committee on Civil Rights, the only black woman on the committee.
2: There is no justifiable reason for discrimination because of ancestry or religion or race or color.
0: Sadie Alexander had all these amazing achievements as a lawyer. But what happened to her economics? From the perspective of the economics profession, for decades she disappeared. Almost. 30 years ago, an economist called Julianne Malveaux wrote an article in the American Economic Review called Missed Opportunity. Sadie tanner marcel Alexander and the Economics Profession. She drew on Alexander's dissertation and and she wanted to know what economists had lost and what might have been. The underlying assumption was that Alexander had left economics and that economics had left her. But another economist read that article and took it as a challenge.
2: Hi, I am Nina Banks. I am an associate professor of economics at Bucknell University. I'm also the president elect of the National Economic Association. I recovered the economic thought of Sadie Tanner Marcel Alexander. And I'm happy to say that I have an edited volume of her speeches and writings that will be coming out next June called Democracy, Race and Justice.
0: Nina Banks is also Alexander's biographer. When I spoke to her, one of the first things she mentioned was that missed opportunity article by
2: Julianne Malveaux. That article came out in 1991 and so nobody was thinking about Sadie Alexander. And feminist economists were doing research to recover the economics of early women economists, but they weren't including Sadie Alexander. And so Based on Malveaux's article, it, it really seemed like a challenge to me. What if I could find some information that suggested that Sadie Alexander continued to have an interest in economics?
0: She started looking into the archives, trawling through Alexander's speeches and correspondence, and she found that her writing was in fact laced with economics. She cited statistics just as readily as she cited legal cases. But did Sadie Alexander think of herself as an
2: economist?
0: Looking through her papers, Nina Banks found something.
2: I found a piece of correspondence from 1944 in a box where Sadie Alexander stated explicitly that she had never given up her interest in economics. She was responding to a statement from someone it was a search, a query to look for um, a black woman economist. And so Sadie Alexander was taken aback by that because she said, as far as I know, I am the only African-American woman in the United States who's trained in economics and I have never given up my interest in economics. She always thought of herself as an economist. She found a pathway to work as an economist
0: Nina Banks argues that Alexander's life wasn't a missed opportunity for economics. She never stopped being an economist. Really, Alexander's story is about reframing the history of economics.
2: This is about the recovery of her knowledge to the profession. Not only as an early woman economist, but also as an early African-American economist. It's about historical memory.
0: There have been women and and African-Americans and other groups who have had really important ideas and contributed to economics. But too often, when history is told, they get missed out. Sadie Alexander's story sheds light on ideas that haven't had the attention that they deserve. Ideas about race, discrimination and employment.
1: Too many of us are willing to wait for the next world and are not willing to expend the energy necessary to make this world a decent place in which to live.
0: Sadie Alexander came from a family of firsts. Her aunt was the first black woman certified to practice medicine in Alabama. Her father was the first black American to graduate in law from the University of Pennsylvania. It wasn't all easy by any means. Her father abandoned the family when she was a baby. She actually thought he was dead until she was a teenager. But her childhood was relatively privileged. She went to the prestigious M Street High School in Washington, D.C., where where black leaders of the day would often come and speak
1: to the students. Booker T. Washington, W.E.B. Du Bois, Coleridge Taylor, Mary Church Terrell, We studied Negro history from living exhibits, not history books. They were living examples of what was possible. University was
0: pretty tough. She was a top student, but no lunchroom would serve her. When she finally made a friend, that friend tried to copy her exams.
1: Such circumstances made a student either a dropout or a survivor, so strong that she could not be overcome, regardless of the indignities.
0: As a black woman, Alexander had a harder time than her classmates. But she could also see things that they didn't. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkled down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant
2: moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to Bluenile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's
0: code LISTEN at Bluenile.com for $50 off. Bluenile.com code LISTEN. Economics has changed a lot since the beginning of the 20th century back then it wasn't an algebra-filled subject full of rational agents. It was much more interdisciplinary. There was a much blurrier line between economics and, say, sociology. Survey methods were being used by scholars like W.E.B. Du Bois, who published The Philadelphia Negro in 1899. And Alexander chose to use those survey methods. She was studying during a massive migration of some 40,000 black people from America's South to Philadelphia during the First World War. It was the first wave of what became known as the Great Migration. More than 6 million African Americans moved to industrial cities in the North. Philadelphia was one of them. hardship and sense of dislocation that many black migrant workers experienced can still be felt in the music of the period the blues blossomed thanks to pioneering artists like robert johnson singing songs like sweet home chicago
1: right
0: The migrants had been pushed by awful working conditions and oppression under Jim Crow laws in the South, and they were also pulled by demand for factory workers. Many of the existing residents of Philadelphia were not thrilled by the newcomers.
2: She was calculating their standard of living, and if, in fact, they could earn a standard of living, that would be sufficient to be able to live in the city. And the underlying assumption and concern there from the standpoint of old Philadelphia residents, longtime residences, would these migrants be a drain on the city? And her dissertation countered that assumption.
0: As a Black woman, Alexander got access to 100 migrant households and ran really detailed surveys asking about their income and their spending. She did the survey herself, which meant visiting the migrants' homes and and seeing their sometimes really horrible living conditions.
1: Boards on windowsills, steps, shutters, worn off and broken. Boxes placed over holes in the floor. I nearly fell into a cellar. Underground leakage that keeps water from the toilet in the yard. So much smoke in the house that I thought it might be on fire. To
0: answer this question of whether the migrants were a drain on the city... She essentially calculated how much money a family would need to achieve what she called a fair standard of living. She found that, in theory, 64% of families earned that threshold. But when she looked at their spending, she found that in practice some things got in the way of them achieving that fair standard of living. Black families couldn't access the same rental market as white families, which meant that they were stuck buying housing that was really expensive for what it was. She also identified what she called unwise spending decisions. So that's black families with insecure income buying in small quantities, whereas they could have had lower prices had they bought in bulk. So even though in theory they had enough money to meet this fair standard of living... In practice, there were barriers to achieving it.
2: When I look at her dissertation, I see a concern for the well-being of African-Americans who were poorly educated and who had very limited resources. And that was consistent throughout her life. I found in her files over a lifetime that she continued to be concerned about different populations of migrants.
0: As Nina Banks found, Alexander's economics lasted well beyond her dissertation.
2: In the 1920s, the ideas focused primarily around the contribution that Africans and their African American descendants made to the United States. She's confronting eugenics thinking within the profession and within the United States in general. So we see that. And I think that that would be consistent with other African-American scholars at the time. 1930s is really interesting with the New Deal policies. We start to see in the period of the Great Depression that she starts to place an emphasis on cooperative economics, the need for African-Americans to come together as a community and to make sure that their resources, that their money is reinvested within the community through cooperative endeavors.
0: A lot of Alexander's speeches were addressing African-American communities directly.
1: As long as our minds remain enslaved, believing, as the vast majority of us do, that a white man can build a better house than a colored man. A pound of sugar from a white grocery store weighs more and tastes sweeter than that purchased from a Negro store. There is no hope for our ultimate economic or any other kind of freedom. She also had criticisms for
0: the policymakers of the day she thought, for example, that some policies designed to relieve the worst effects of the depression neglected black workers. This social security measure gives at least
2: some protection to 30 millions of our citizens. In
0: 1935, Franklin D. Roosevelt signed the Social Security Act, which introduced new pensions and unemployment insurance.
2: And through increased services for the protection of children and the prevention of ill health.
0: But the bill left out servants and farm laborers, who were disproportionately
1: black. It is clear that in his years of planning for social security of the common man, Mr. Roosevelt never had in mind the security of the American Negro. Out of the
2: New Deal, she became, I think, very much a proponent of having race-conscious Policies, because she was aware that racially neutral policies could be used to continue to prevent African-Americans from having access to the same benefits that white workers had access to.
0: Other policies, she said, made things worse.
2: There isn't a person in America who won't profit by the National Recovery Administration if every man, woman and child will do his part. You can always depend upon Americans. There's a new day in view. There is gold in the blue. There is hope in the hearts of men.
0: The American government introduced the National Industrial Recovery Act as a way of, of trying to get rid of the South's low wage economy. But in that transition, black workers bore the biggest cost of the adjustment. Everybody.
1: Then came the National Recovery Act, which might well bear the nomenclature Negro Reduction Act. We all know only too well that, particularly in the South, employers refused to pay Negroes the same wages as paid white labor for identical work, as a consequence of which Negroes lost their jobs. She was very
2: vocal in calling for the Roosevelt administration to provide relief in an equitable manner or jobs in an equitable manner. I think that's also the period where she's starting to focus more on the need for government to regulate the economy, to smooth out the business cycle. Her thinking was very Keynesian by the late 1930s. There are a hundred million of us, men and women of working and fighting age. To fight this war, 10 million more people must go to work by the end of 1943.
0: The Second World War involved massive and unprecedented government intervention in the economy, creating 10 million jobs.
2: For every machinist available, for example, 22 are needed. For every riveter available, four are needed.
0: That massive wartime mobilisation really showed that it was possible to pull that many people into work. It left unemployment as a policy choice.
2: In our day, certain economic truths have become accepted... As self-evident.
0: In his State of the Union Address in 1944, President Roosevelt called for a second Bill of Rights to protect employment as a fundamental all, right.
2: Regardless of station or race or creed, among these are the right to a useful and remunerative job, the right to earn enough to provide adequate food and clothing and recreation. She was concerned about deficits, and national debt, but by 1945, when she observed the benefits of government spending that provided full employment programs for workers throughout the economy, she then became a proponent of, I would say, big government in the sense that she became a proponent of job guarantees.
0: Sadie Alexander argued that to maintain full employment, the government should tax profits being hoarded by companies and spend the money on public investment. That would hand more money to the unemployed and they would spend, and that would pull even more people into work and support more spending. She also saw the interactions between these full employment policies and racial tensions. As the war came to a close and wartime production started to fall, she was worried that the black workers who had only just been pulled into all those new jobs would be the first to be thrown out of them. And left to its own devices, the labour market would sink into an equilibrium where the unemployed would be disproportionately
2: black. 1945, she became a proponent of full employment policies, not just because she thought that it would benefit workers throughout the economy, which she did believe, but she also believed that full employment was really the only way that Black workers would be able to have access to jobs and be able to have mobility within the jobs, and have jobs at a livable wage. The market wasn't going to overcome persistent labor market discrimination, and so government needed to step in.
1: It is the only solution to the economic subjugation of the Negro and of the great masses of white labor.
0: Alexander was also alert to the political consequences of economic insecurity.
2: She was really concerned about the impact that economic insecurity had on fostering cultural anxieties and racial hostilities. And so she really viewed economic insecurity as a threat to the rule of law and that economic insecurity could lead people to elect a leader who has fascist tendencies. And so it pushed her to shift her thinking about the role of the government in the economy.
1: The cause of economic insecurity and how it can be overcome must be made clear to all classes of the public in language that each can understand. In order that America may await the orderly solution of the problem and not in despair turn over its freedom in exchange for the vain promises of a self-proclaimed messiah.
0: Today, when black people in America are still more likely to be unemployed than white people, when the country is clearly still struggling with issues of race, the economic ideas that she was explaining still feel very relevant. I asked Nina Banks why she thought people should know about Sadie Alexander today.
2: I think that what makes her exciting is that she speaks to the current political economy of the United States. She focused on racial disparities in housing, in education, in jobs. She talked about racial segregation, urban slums, over-policing, unlawful entry, unwarranted searches and seizures. She really believed that economists had a really important responsibility to popularize economic knowledge so that people... And here she was talking primarily about white Americans would have a better understanding of how an economy recovers from an economic downturn and so be less inclined to scapegoat marginalized populations.
0: Now there is quite a bit of chatter about Sadie Alexander. I, I don't think she can be called forgotten anymore. In 2018, Fanta Tururi and Anna Gifty apoku Agumen started the Sadie Collective, this group that is supposed to help other young black women pursue careers in economics. In 2021, the National Economic Association, uh, an organisation that was founded in 1969 as the Caucus of Black Economists, they're going to celebrate the centenary of Alexander's PhD award. Nina Banks is the group's president-elect. She is going to have a lot more to say about Sadie Alexander's economic
2: life. She continued to have a life as an economist. She was a public intellectual who talked about the effects of macroeconomic policies on African Americans. And she spent her lifetime challenging systemic racism
0: our thanks to nina banks of bucknell university to simon cox at the economist and to patricia ricketts for voicing the words of sadie alexander Sadie Alexander's story is just one of the many hidden histories inside the Christmas double issue of The Economist. If you didn't give or receive a copy under the tree, then now's your chance. Our special introductory offer for listeners is available at economist.com slash podcast offer. That's economist.com slash podcast offer. And the link is in the notes for this episode. And if you like to give us a gift this festive season, there is nothing we'd like to receive more than a rating, or better yet, a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thank you to everyone who's done so already. I'm Samaya Keynes in Washington, DC. This is The Economist.